You're listening to the Necromaniacs Podcast. Happy New Year's, everyone. Welcome to 2021. And uh, we're kicking off the new year, me and Jeff. And I just want to let you guys know that Mad Max apparently took place in the year 2021. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Uh, you're talking about the original, right? <laughs> yeah, the original uh, Mel Gibson extravaganza took place in the year 2021. Yeah, we're pretty much there right now then, aren't we? <laughs> Things don't look that much different. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, I mean, they're, they're not quite that bad yet, but, you know, <laughs> but they're, they're pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. How was your, how was your holiday, man? How was, how was Christmas and all that? Good. You know, I, um, I get fat every time this year. You know, just sitting around, visit. I vis- I was able to see my parents and uh, just the three of us. And I, uh, you know, I took the COVID test, um, quarantined for a few, you know, like like uh, 10 days after I got the test. And I uh, went to go check out my parents and just sat around and ate, got fat and like watched movies, read books, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I did, except for the parent part. I, I was, I've been tested twice now. Yeah. And yeah, quarantine for a while, but uh, me and the girlfriend, we just ordered like an obscene amount of Indian food and sat around and, and, and watched movies and just tried to, tried to make the best of it, you know. My yeah. family lives, uh, you know, on the East Coast and it's just not a smart thing to go flying right now. I mean, it, it's a, a nightmare out here in, in, in LA. We're like the new epicenter of COVID. So, you know, just trying to stay uh, indoors until, uh, you know, this vaccine's readily available to everyone. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much the plan. It's like uh, you know working from home. I have like uh, a couple things I do that are a little bit risky, but mostly I'm staying home, not doing much. You know. Yeah, I mean I go to the store and I go for walks, but I try to go for walks where it's, you know, I don't live in an area that's really really dense, uh, so that's not really a problem. If I see someone walking their dog, I'll just you know walk in the street or cross the street. And, you know, I'll pop into the store, get something to drink now and then, but I've been trying to do that a little bit less now as well. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it is what it is, man. And, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, 2021 will be better than 2020. We can all hope for that. Yeah. I don't think the year ending is going to make it. People don't realize, I think 2021 is going to start off pretty rough. You know, it's, it's good. We're. We're getting there, but we're not in the home stretch quite yet. No, no, I, I agree. You check anything out? You watch anything? Read anything uh, interesting? Uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks? Well, like everyone else, uh, I watched Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Did you check that out? I did not yet see that movie. Um. Yeah. I. Uh, I didn't like it. Yeah. And uh, it would be hard to go into detail about why I didn't like it without completely spoiling the movie. But, I mean, it's not terrible. I would say one of the things that I guess you can talk about that isn't too spoilery, it takes place in 1984, and I can't, for any discernible reason, <laughs> figure out why they said it could have been set in 1994. Or I, I didn't really get that. I guess maybe they were trying to play off the 80s nostalgia that's become so popular. But to me, it was just a, a missed opportunity. And... Um, I mean, I wasn't crazy about the first Wonder Woman movie. I don't think it was terrible. It just was fine, you know. So I saw it and then sort of forgot about it. I'll say this one was a lot more memorable 
and maybe enjoyable to watch, but uh, wasn't into it, man. The DC universe in general has just been kind of mediocre to shitty so far for me. I got to be honest, aside from Batman, I'm not really a DC Comics guy in general. Um, you know, there's a couple things that, uh, like, there's a very few titles that DC fucks with that uh, that I'm, I'm, like, you know, a fan of. You know, Batman, I like. Uh, I went through a phase where I read Justice League. Um, you know, like, there used to be a, a Mike Grell title called Warlord, which I thought was really cool. But mostly I'm a Marvel guy all the way. You know. Oh, interesting. I, I don't know that much about comic books. I I like Batman and that's really the only one I've ever read uh with any sort of consistency. Uh so I don't know much about, you know, Wonder Woman's lore. I don't know how much these movies stick to the comics or anything like that. The only character I really know is Batman. But since these all take place sort of in the same universe, I kind of have a little bit of interest in them. Uh, I'm curious about the Suicide Squad reboot. I thought the first one was an absolute disaster. So, I mean, there's really no place to go but up, <laughs> you know? Yeah, with DC, I, I, I dug their uh, Vertigo line, which was, uh, you know, Swamp Thing, uh, Sandman, um, you know, that kind of stuff I thought was really cool. Animal Man, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like the more um, adult comics, you know, version of the stuff they did. Uh, Hellblazer, right. you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, oh, the Constantine, been, yeah, yeah. I've always been more like a you know Marvel, you know Spider Man, Iron Man, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean the only the guy I was really familiar with, and from Marvel, well, I liked Spider Man as a kid. I really liked Spider Man. Um, haven't really loved any of the Spider Man movies in a while either. But you know, like they're fine. Uh, but yeah, I mostly know these characters from from the movies. Yeah, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man I thought was cool. I like the uh, second one a lot, the one with uh, Dr. Uh, not Dr. Octagon, Dr. Octavius. Mm -hmm. It would be cool if Dr. Octagon was a cool yeah, Keith, man, was cool a, a Spider-Man villain. <laughs> <laughs> he could just yeah, be Dr. Dr. Octagon. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I've been going through uh, – Dexter. We just got Showtime, and uh, I remember I never finished that. And I, I, I don't like to leave things unfinished. Like if I start something, I like to finish it. And I jumped ship around season like six or seven. I can't remember. And rewatching it, I'm starting to see why. I'm confused why I didn't jump ship earlier. It's just really not a good show. I've tried to to watch that show. I've started that like three or four times, and I always tap out after a couple episodes. I don't. I don't know. I just never can catch on to the story really you know yeah I, I think it's a great idea i think it's it's um it's a cool concept but like i can't take it when everyone on a show is is, is stupid so the plot so the plot can advance and that that's like a huge thing in dexter just everyone around is so dumb and that's how he gets away with it um it is <clears throat> cool to see my old neighborhood though i used to live in in hollywood and they filmed a lot of that show on my street and some of it in my building. Oh, wow. So I would watch, yeah, I would watch them uh, film the show. And the, I mean, the cast and the crew were uh, real nice. Uh, the actor who plays Dexter signed a butcher's knife for my wife <laughs> at the time, my ex-wife now. Uh, and he was really cool about it. And uh, the director of a bunch of episodes is none other than uh, Keith Gordon, the actor from Christine and, and Jaws 2. Nice. So... Yeah, I got to say hi to him. Like, hey, I love Jaws too. And he's like, huh, yeah. <laughs> did, 
they, they ever uh, ask um, you uh, to be on like as a special guest or anything like that? You know, like you know. I was kind of hoping they would, man. <laughs> yeah, just didn't, they need some creepy guy lurking in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be me. No, but they used our, they used our parking spot for. Oh, uh, f- oh fuck, man! For a couple, for a shot, yeah, and like we want. It's crazy to watch them film a TV show. Like they were setting up the shot in my neighbor's apartment outside the neighbor's apartment for hours. And when they yelled action, like uh, Dexter's sister comes up the stairs, knocks on the door, goes, Anton, you in there? Turns around, looks around. Okay, cut. Okay, do it again. Okay, we got it. And I was like, man, it took all that time to set up like what, what was like a 20, 30 second shot. I, I was in awe of it. I really enjoyed that process, like watching a show getting made. It's, it's really interesting stuff. You know, there was a period of a, maybe two years where um – I worked in uh, film stuff, like behind, like doing sound and like mixing and stuff like that. And uh, like I did, I was on on site too. I was on set doing sound, and um, but it was it was for like you know just like some random shit. But uh, it's it is crazy how um, all none of this stuff got picked up. It was all like like typical New York shit, like pilots, you know, and um, yeah, you know, web web series that never got you know launched and stuff like that like people would finance shit they would they would pay for a uh, pilot or a few episodes of a web series and then you'd never hear from any of it it would none of it ever happened like for real you know and yeah uh, that's a real la thing too yeah yeah and uh but you know it kept me going for a couple you know a couple years i was free when i was freelancing you know that and like touring and you know it was like this uh definitely a week by week kind of vibe but uh yeah but the process is interesting though it's like you see how many times and different angles and they'll shoot the same scene like it would take them like a day or something different camera angles like all this stuff you know and just you know it's it's interesting you know i I, it's a very tedious process though you know yeah what about you man what have you been watching um i checked out raised by wolves the HBO series. Have you heard of that? Oh, Ridley Scott's involved Ridley in it, right? Ridley Scott's like the executive producer on it, I think. Um, it, no, you know, it looked interesting and I completely forgot about it. Do yourself a favor, man. It's fucking amazing. I love it. I don't know if anyone... I don't know. I don't even know what the general consensus is about that show. I just love it because a couple of reasons. It looks like a Mobius designed set, you know that the artist uh, Philippe Drouillet, the um, he was in heavy metal, like early mm-hmm. issues oh, yeah. of heavy metal. A lot of the design looks like his artwork, which I think is sick. You know, I think that's really cool. And um, and then it combines all these things, which I find very interesting. Is like uh, you know panspermia, like the origin of mankind. Um, earth being destroyed and like, you know, having to, you know, settle a new planet, uh, you know, religion, atheism versus, versus, uh, you know, this kind of orthodox religions and stuff like that. And, um, you know, androids, consciousness, artificial life, like all these things together, man. It's like, um, you know, some of, some of like a, uh, and I, I, it's like an early 
uh, lost vibe too because these people land on a planet and they don't know anything really about the planet and they're discovering there's like a history that they didn't know about and another civilization possibly lived there before them. Um, you know, and of course, uh, you know, it's, it's like um, the artificial intelligence, artificial life, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. It's a really, really great show. It's really well acted, you know, that kind of thing. Um, HBO really loves those artificial intelligence shows, don't they? That sounds kind of similar to, to Westworld. Did, did you ever get into that? Um, the first, yeah, initially I liked it, but then it just got like, they started taking too many chances, I feel like. Yeah, I, I enjoyed season one, and I think three or four episodes into season two, I, I, I tapped out. Yeah. And uh, the the acting was cool. There's like that guy that used to be in uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That dude was on it. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. He played oh, yeah. Uh, he played Mick Poyle on Always Sunny in Philly. <laughs> he was, yeah, I love that. I love that show. Yeah, that actor though can play comedy and drama equally well, which I think is cool. Yeah, he played the real-life L.A. detective Russell Poole, who investigated the Biggie Smalls murder. He played him in a show called Unsolved, which aired on the USA Network, but is now on Netflix. Is and it good? It's, yeah, you know, I, I, had a, I liked it a lot. I, for some reason, was really, like, obsessed with that case. I've read two books about the murders of Biggie Smalls and Tupac, and it's really fascinating stuff. Um, so if you have any like interest in that whatsoever, the show is it's pretty good. I thought, oh, USA Network, how good can this be? But it's you can tell that they put some some behind it. Like every network wants to have its prestigious show now, and I think that's what they were trying to do with with Unsolved. But it's definitely worth your time if you even have just like a, a slight interest in that case because it is uh, extensive and well researched. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoy that kind of police procedural stuff yeah it's really cool cool uh material yeah especially when it's done well like something like david fincher's zodiac is so engrossing to me i, I feel like i've seen that movie five times and I could, I could watch it again tomorrow just you know even though i just saw it just like a few months back i've also been watching uh I, and i've kind of resisted this because i'm not a big eli roth fan but i started mm. watching uh eli roth's history of horror on uh, on shutter and uh, it's pretty cool. Huh. Yeah, it's. Is it just like his movies? <laughs> oh no, no, no! I yeah. would no. I mean, he's he's not even really in it that uh, that much. It's like he's kind of the host, and um, he has like Stephen King on there. He's got uh, cast members from you know Walking Dead. Uh, he's got Danny McBride. He's got like <laughs> all these cool uh, Brian Fuller, uh, who, you know, who did um, Hannibal. Uh, among other things and uh, it's really cool like each episode is is uh, dedicated to a different type of character the first one obviously zombies and it goes into slashers and you know that kind of thing I, I've only watched two episodes so far well uh, yeah I think his name kind of turned me off to watching that I'm just not not a fan yeah but uh, check it and, out um, I just started uh, yet another novel by the great Adam Neville this book is called Last Days, and it's uh, kind of combines Process Church, Manson murders, supernatural, demonic possession, um, you know, sort of uh, 
found footage films documentaries all this stuff kind of combines into this uh into this novel and it's like a pretty hefty book it's like over 500 pages and uh mm. and adam neville is just like he's probably my favorite modern horror writer right now and uh yeah last days i've read a bunch of his stuff and uh i keep talking about him on this um this uh, podcast and I've actually corresponded with him a few times via email and he's a pretty cool guy. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, you should just have him on and do interview him or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that I could work that out. You know, he's, he's, um, he's into like metal and like extreme music and stuff. So, you know, we're, we're sort of, uh, in touch on that level. So we'll see what happens. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I've been reading, I, I, I've probably mentioned this before, but Thomas Ligotti is my favorite modern writer. And people call him maybe the successor to, to Lovecraft, but I think he surpasses him in, in every way possible. And lately I've been um, not reading, but listening to his stories. Like someone will read them and put them up on, on YouTube. And I've been kind of laying in the dark and listening to, to those stories as I, as I go to sleep. And, I have nightmares. Um, <laughs> Yeah, basically. Well, I've always had nightmares, so it doesn't really matter what I, what I read or watch. It's, it doesn't it, it doesn't you know really help or hurt one way or the other. But uh, that's an experience I recommend: laying in the dark and listening to a Thomas Ligotti song. Uh, I mean, sorry, a story. I would start with the Bungalow House or Gas Station Carnivals. Those are both really really great stories of his. And uh, I'm gonna pick one out when I'm done talking to you to to listen to tonight. Right on. Awesome. So what do we got for uh, this episode, man? We got this. This is actually a movie that you uh, brought to my attention, man. So I'm, I'm excited, you know. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, checked it out. And, well, I'm going to, I guess we're going to hear your your thoughts uh, on it. I don't even know how I heard about this movie. It's so weird. I just ended up watching it and being like, man, like this, this kind of came out of nowhere. The movie we're talking about is The Dead Center. Written and directed by Billy Sinise, or Sinise, however you want to pronounce it. Uh, theatrical release, October 11th, 2019. And then it went streaming, like, uh, literally, like, a week later. <laughs> On uh, yeah. October 22nd, 2019. Runtime is one hour, 33 minutes. And, uh, yeah, it was quite a movie, man. And we can get, I guess we can go into the cast, too. But, uh. Actually, there's sure. something really interesting about the cast. So, the main I characters. I know what you're going to say. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So, <laughs> it, the, the main characters um, we got Shane, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Karuth, Karuth, as uh, Dr. Daniel Forrester. Now, what's interesting about him is uh, he wrote and directed a movie called Primer, which. Um, mm -hmm came out like back in uh like i don't know the early like maybe 2004 or something like that and it was like this micro budget like i don't know how much they probably they must they, it looks like they spent like two grand on this movie and everyone worked for free you know yeah but but it was a very very intense and compelling time travel movie which i thought was it was a pretty awesome movie Did you ever see that one yeah, no, I did, and and it is a, such a, a complex movie too. That's one of the more dense time travel movies. Like, I feel like it's one of those ones you need to watch a couple 
couple times, maybe even more to fully grasp what you're seeing. Did you he like it? He made another – yeah, no, I did. I did like it. Yeah. But it was like one of those things after I saw it, I was like, man, I, I, don't, I don't think I fully grasped it. But I did like it. He made a movie after, I think around 2012 or 13, called Upstream Color. Did you ever see that? You know what? I, I never – I haven't seen it yet. Charles, I'll, I'll say that. It's um, definitely something that's on my watch list, though. Yeah, dude, check that movie out. That is another like almost impenetrable film where you're not sure what you're watching. I gotta, I gotta give that a rewatch. Yeah, I'm, but I'm just him, check that out for sure. I mean, him being involved with this got me. I was like, oh, okay, this guy. You know, that there's obviously something to this. Then if this drew his attention. Uh, the other cast we got, uh, you know, this is an Indian name, so I'm probably going to mangle this one. Porna Jagannathan. Jagannathan. That's Dr. Sarah Gray. Gray. Dr. Sarah Gray. Um, yeah. Jeremy Childs as uh, Michael Clark. And uh, Billy Feely as Edward Graham. Those are basically the main players in this. There's some other ancillary characters, but these are the uh, the kind of the crux of the movie. You know, the, the kind of breaks down to these these guys. Right, and I mean, you know, general thoughts like this is sort of right up our alley. This is a low budget movie, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look amateurish or look particularly cheap or anything. But you could, you could probably, you know, you can tell it's just they didn't have a lot of money. There's not a lot of effects. It's not a big cast. Um, also, another thing we love here uh, on this podcast: cosmic horror, apocalyptic overtones. Um, Absolutely, and, this, and I would say that what really uh, propelled the movie was the strength of the actors in this movie for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like if the acting, that's one of the things that usually brings down a low budget movie is the acting is just usually dog shit. And here everyone is, is, is completely uh, believable. And I just want to point out that we were talking about a little, little bit about Lovecraft earlier. Um, this feels like it could have been like a Lovecraft story updated for a modern setting. I, I agree with that, and I'll, and one of the reasons why is that not really, aside from like the climax of this film, not a, not a whole lot of action happens throughout this movie. A lot of it is like recollections, um, dialogue, uh, descriptions of things. You know that that's like kind of like the telltale, like Lovecraftian, you know, writing. Like at least his fictional work is like that. The work that. You know, the short stories, you know, it's not a lot of action, but a lot of like exposition goes on in those. And that's kind of what this is. It's like, you know, basically um, Michael Clark, it's like the movie starts out where he's like dead laying on a slab in a morgue and um, he comes back to life and he's in a hospital and they don't know, you know, that he just, he's, he just is, they're like, what the hell, this guy, who is this guy? What's his, you know, they don't know his, um, his identity. And, uh, the story slowly gets pieced together because, uh, originally, um, you know, he was involved in like a, a house fire, but we learn we learn a lot of the story through 
basically this guy's expressions and they the stories like pieced together between like uh the character of like edward graham who works for the the coroner's office and you know uh dr forrester and and it's just like slow it's a slow burn i would say this movie when you agree yeah definitely and it, it builds tension in, in in subtle ways like the opening shot of the movie uh it's like this cool drone shot and you hear this uh kind of minimal score uh, actually the score was done by jordan let lenning and it's a cool score and it's kind of sort of quiet you're hovering above the ambulance drones like following it and it's almost like kind of peaceful and serene and then it really cuts to a shot of the back of the ambulance and then all the street noise comes in the ambulance noise and it's really really jarring and it's the same thing when they're bringing you know john doe michael into the you know into the coroner's room it's really quiet you know you hear the buzz of the light that shuts off the door shuts and then he just sort of comes to life and you know what's going to happen, but it still is a great tense moment. And they don't use like the jarring strings in the soundtrack. It's just this guy coming to life on the table. And yeah, so apparently, like you know, coming to life makes you tired because he finds a bed and goes pretty much what right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, and the way the way that shot too it it you get a sense of just the lifelessness of uh, death. You know, well, the lifelessness of death is kind of redundant, but you, 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 like the, you see death in a very uh, stark kind of way, and uh, you know, the, the, they show the faces of these corpses, and there's like they just they don't look like people anymore. They have just this kind of, uh, they just look like material, you know, and uh, that's always something that fascinated me, just in general about death, how there was like animated tissue and then there's nothing and you you get that that's that feeling is portrayed very well in the photography in this film i think in that in those couple of scenes you know oh no totally agree and, and they do make him subtly throughout the film like still look like he's somewhat of a corpse yeah like uh like he's not a zombie there's there's a a, a shot of the when like you know, um, a nurse is examining him. They're like, "Oh, his lungs sound fine. His heart sounds fine." So he's got like a heart. He's got a pulse. He's he's alive. He's come back to life. He's not undead or anything like that. You know, I, I had no idea. Like when you recommended this film, I didn't really read much about it, so I didn't even know what the plot was. So I didn't know if it was going to be, "Oh, this guy's a zombie" or whatever. You know, or there's going to be. I didn't really know much about what the story was. So it was really interesting going through the film and learning all the stuff about. So apparently he tries to kill himself because he's possessed by some sort of uh, entity or, you know, alternate dimension creature or and, and he tries to kill himself, but he can't. And he has he keeps coming back to life. Right, yeah, you learn later in the film, like, he's trying to feel like he burned the house down and, and he lived, and this time he looked like he tried to uh, cut his wrists. We learn most of his backstory from, like, the B-plot and with the character I call Dr. Detective. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
It's an unusual character. I mean, like he, he's the medical examiner, but he is the basically the the detective figure that you're following uh, through the movie for the backstory. Uh, it was interesting. I remember the first time around, I, re- I thought he was a detective. Like you know, I, I first time I saw this was in uh, February, so it had been a little while since I seen it. I was like, oh, he's a doctor. Okay, weird. <laughs> he does a lot of things a doctor wouldn't do, but you know, okay, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, so that's but, the character uh, of Graham, who, yeah, he works for the coroner's office. And then uh, our Shane Caruth, Corruth, whatever his name is, Dr. Forrester, where you get his character is essentially the kind of, um, you know, the unusual misfit doctor, the guy who doesn't really play by the rules. He is, um, you know, just wants to save lives. <clears throat> Kind of always on the on the verge of some sort of disciplinary problem, you know, with his uh, boss, played by uh, Porna Jagan, Jaganathan, Doctor Sarah Gray, in the in the, her, her character, and you can tell they have a history. Uh, they're friends for a long time. She's always cutting them breaks. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I got the sense that they were like involved at one point, like they were like dating. At some, I, I, I got that impression. I could see that because there's a scene where um, shortly after, uh, you know, our, our John, John Doe, re, you know, newly reanimated Michael Clark shows up. He calls uh, Dr. Gray at like two o'clock in the morning and her drunk, husband. Yeah. yeah, he's drunk. He's like been, you know, ha- having a couple whiskeys and her yeah. husband, her <laughs> husband's like, like he's calling you now like who you know why is this guy calling you you know like in this kind of like very uh borderline jealous kind of you know trying trying his nerves kind of vibe you know yeah that scene struck me as funny too because if it's two in the morning they look like they were just like just about finishing up dinner like they're not in their pajamas or anything well you know what man it could be because like doctors work fucked up hours that's you know that's true I mean, they, they might um, be having dinner at 2 o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, that's true. So that's kind of how we get introduced to, to, to Dr. Forrester. Like, yeah, he's like, a, he just wants to help people and he's getting in trouble for it. It's like saying, hey, you can't, you can't, like, administer anymore, admit any more people into this hospital without my approval. And so then we he meets the John Doe character and basically through some trickery, he gets him in. Yeah. And I thought what was interesting to me about that is do you think like that was like I'm I have to do this or it was a little bit of like hey fuck you. I think it's maybe half and half because uh Clark is definitely the kind of oddball patient that Forrester would be interested in. Like there's definitely something going on so his curiosity is definitely peaked. But I also think that Forrester's one of these guys who likes to test the boundaries of authority, you know, and that's that that's one of his flaws, you know. Yeah, it's certainly a, a huge flaw in this one because it really all the events of the movie that everything that happens is basically because he did that. Exactly. And you know, people die as a result of his uh character flaw of wanting to bend the rules you know, be the renegade, you know, and this like bizarre curiosity he has with this guy, Clark. 
Yeah, he almost takes a, a, a shine to him right away. Maybe it's the way he, he looks. I think he notices the deep scars on his arms. And he's like, yeah, I, I got to do something about this. And also, you know, I'm going to give the middle finger to my ex-girlfriend. She can't fucking tell me what to do. There's a little bit of, of, of hubris there with this character. Yeah. And we learn a little bit of darkness later on, too. He, uh, he found his mother's uh, dead of a suicide by hanging. Yep, that's right. So, so yeah. It's got some baggage. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really come into the plot at all. But it's just like a nice little, you know, character detail. Where it's like maybe yeah, there's there's a darkness to this guy, and he probably sees it in in, in other people. Also, there's uh, there's that cool spiral scarification on Clark's back, and uh, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh geez, man. All right, we got we got some. Uh, spirals and you know sacred geometry and stuff like that going on so i'm like yeah this is definitely like right up my alley with uh i knew it was veering into the cosmic horror realm and uh that's that's right what i started figuring out was that clark is kind of a conduit from these entities that reside in another dimension and uh there's uh there's some research that goes on where they start seeing in history these like mass mortality events that happened and um some of the things that they all have in common is the mouths are of the of the people who were killed they have like these like gaping mouths you know and that's something that yeah we see as like a similarity between all these different cases that happen Right, and like you know, Doctor Detective uh, is at the at a crime crime scene, and you know they just let him in because you know they let doctors into crime scenes that aren't related to the case. And you see the spiral. Now, was the spiral carved into yeah. the? Um, it was carved into the tub, and it was pulled with blood. Okay. And, that whole uh, scene was that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually. And I don't think it's really that far out. If you think about it, it's like some motel like cheap motel in la this dude shows up he has the credentials for the uh you know the examiner the you know so he looks like a cop sort of he's got credentials and the guy probably would let him on the crime scene the owner of the um you know the establishment so he goes in he probably is like yeah i have to you know gotta check out the crime scene again you know got some police police business Actually, one piece of detail I didn't notice on a piece of mail. I think this took place in Tennessee. Ah, okay. And so I was wondering that myself. I was like, where, where did they film this? It doesn't look like L.A., but... And then I saw when he's looking through something on a piece of mail, I saw that was a Tennessee uh, address. Um, yeah, that's, that is one of the better scenes in the movie, too. It's like when he goes into the bathroom, it's like you can practically smell it. There's like flies everywhere. Yeah. And a, and a tub of... Which, another thing, like he just like you know, drains a tub of blood. I'm sure that's evidence. You probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but, you know, okay, whatever. I get, I get hung up on dumb things, I know. No, uh, I agree. I agree. I think that, but I think by then, I mean, you know, once you hear, this is how much I like the movie. I'm like justifying all these moves, but it's like, I would imagine by then they would have taken a sample of the water, you know? That yeah. would have been like the initial investigation, collecting, uh, you know, evidence and things like that they would have taken a blood sample for dna and all that but it it, um 
any, any of you guys out there who uh, are fans of the old 90s uh, noise band, noise rock or whatever band, Unsane, that scene reminded me of like an Unsane album cover where there's like a tub filled with blood and there's blood all over the walls and it's just... The after, That's true. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, look, it looks like an Unsane record cover. And, you know, it's like the aftermath of just this brutal you know, violent scene. And, uh, you know, the, well, you were saying he drains the tub and that's where he sees that same spiral design like carved into the, you know, into the, um, the tub. And I'm like, oh, here, yeah. you know, we got some, we got some uh, cosmic horror coming on strong. Yeah, he's putting the dots together uh, while back at the hospital, like um, almost pretty quickly things start to go, go bad. Like uh, John Doe, you know, kills an orderly, and, and we don't see how. We just see, like, hear a noise, and then the orderly comes stumbling out, like, completely disoriented, saying he needs to go home. So you, you know he's just seen something really uh, upsetting, disturbing, whatever you want to call it. And he and, kills that old lady, too. There's, like, an old lady. That's yeah, that's his patient. second victim. Yeah, but I I know too like Doctor Forrester like almost immediately when when Doctor Gray is making the announcement that uh, Trevor had died, you kind of see this look on his face like he's already kind of suspicious of of of, of John Doe, and pretty much from here on out, I think mostly the movie is him unraveling, um, much like someone in a Lovecraft story who slowly goes mad. This is sort of the the same arc for uh, for Doctor Forrester. Yeah, and um, things start going downhill quickly, as you mentioned. There's there's some more deaths. Uh, you know, Doctor Gray is murdered, which uh, I kind of was surprised they killed off that character. Actually, yeah, they did. But before she gets murdered, uh, um, Doctor Forrester. Is trying to get some information out of. After he kills the sec, the old lady, he starts to question even more, and and uh, John Doe goes for him, and that's when we get we get a little bit of a, of a glimpse of what the victim saw. This sort of a Lovecraftian, unexplainable horror that that <laughs> that can't be unseen. So now he knows it's true, and and. You know he has to has to face it, but he can't. He's a man of medicine. He's a doctor. He can't handle that this is real. There has to be some explanation. And uh, I love that scene where he does like the Batman interrogation technique, where he shoves a door. <laughs> I mean, shoves a, a, a chair into the door. Yeah. And he's like, "You got you got to tell me what's going on." You know, he's he's searching for a rational explanation, and uh, and there just really isn't one. And. Uh, he basically, I think, like tries to kill his patient. Like he attacks him. Yeah, and and it's like you like you said, it's his unraveling and uh, that glimpse into the nether world that this creature comes from, this being comes from, is like that. For that, that's the kind of shit that I like, man. It's like when you look beyond like whatever reality that you're in and you look into this completely alien existence. And that's, even though this, this is like, there wasn't done in a very uh, flashy kind of like, uh, you know, high level effects way. 
I just think that the the abyss, the dark black abyss that he stares into is like very effective, you know? And it made me feel like cold. And I was like, man, this is like kind of uncomfortable, you know? It's like taking like a uh, a mushroom trip or something like that and washing, watching like the fabric of reality like unravel and looking into this void of nothing, you know, or this other world beyond like the reality that you're you're existing into and feeling yourself being sucked into this like vacuum, you know, this vortex. And uh, yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah, that's like that. That's when this is like when the movie really really grabbed me. Like I the, the build up to this type of stuff and the juxtaposition of this like supernatural, um, you know, interdimensional drama with the mundane aspects of everyday life uh you know it's like they capture the monotony of like working in a hospital really well too you know everything just yeah, seems they do. Very, and I, very ordinary you know yeah and and the background performances are so spot on of like the, the other mental patients you know they're not really characters they're just sort of background color that's the way they're acting is a hundred percent accurate um but, but but to what you were talking about before, I like when he asks, what is inside of you? What is this? And he says, a blackness spinning and spinning. I thought that that was like just one of the fucking bleakest things I've ever heard. <laughs> like, and, and just so accurate to describe anything like, you know, like negative feelings, depression, anxiety. That's, you can't really put a word on it. It's just this empty, endless void that can't be filled. Um, and you get a real sense for the, the, just the turmoil that Clark is going through. That's, that's the, just a reminder. That's, that's our John Doe's actual name is Michael Clark. And, uh, right. just like this inescapable darkness and how excruciating his life must be to want to die so badly. Yet he cannot, die he cannot cease to exist he keeps getting brought back into this reality that he has to endure and uh yeah you start getting that 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 insight into what that must be like you know around this time this point in the movie yeah and they find um dr detective there goes to um his parents house where he was staying and that's where we get a bulk of the information about what's happening to him um, you see, uh, he sees, uh, like, like, uh, this ancient, this drawing of an ancient creature with a spiral for the face. And he sees this quote that is his exact same suicide note, really short and simple. His suicide note was, I'm the mouth of death. None are beyond my reach. Forgive me. <laughs> I um, actually, I wrote I like that in my that notebook. <laughs> yeah, it really stayed with me. Um, I like mysteries like this that aren't you're getting information but like he's not gathering a way to stop this thing he's just trying to learn about it and in the end the mystery really isn't a hundred percent solved we don't know what this thing exactly is or where exactly it's from but but we know it, it's an intent is apocalyptic yeah exactly and and that's what i like about this film where it's not wrapped up you know, you don't even really know what the hell this thing is. Like I was saying, like, as I was watching the movie, I'm like, is this like another reality? Is it 
uh, this kind of, it's funny because like I, I'd read uh, this book called Revival by Stephen King a few months ago. And uh, it's like Stephen King's Lovecraftian uh, fiction where he is like dealing with what lies beyond, you know, after death, you know. So when I'm watching this right. movie, I'm like, is this what death is? Is this like what eternal darkness would be? You know, this glimpse into it. And is this thing that's manifesting through Michael Clark, like an, ex an escaping soul or something like that? You know, all these ideas were like in my head when I was watching the movie. Like it could be just, like I said, like another dimension. It could be what lies after life you know, or the void or the absence of life or I don't know. And none of it gets wrapped up. They never explain what it is. And I think it's cool because, you know, I just, I, I, it just keeps you in this uncomfortable sort of environment, you know? Yeah. And that to me is infinitely more interesting than something that's, oh, this is the creature. This is how you stop it. The end. Uh, it, for me, it's a lot more interesting to, to really think about what you just saw and, mull it over and maybe come up with your own ideas. I'm sure the filmmaker probably has some idea. He's just kind of keeping it vague, uh, intentionally. Well, a lot of the, you know, I, I go pretty deep into all this like esoteric stuff yeah. and, and, um, you know, aliens like, and there's that, there's that movie, um, endless where there's like a scene with this French guy. He's like talking about what's the difference between a ghost, an alien, a demon, you know, or an angel. And it's like, they might all be the same thing, you know? And that's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, that, that was a good movie. Yeah. And that's kind of like what... I, I'm like super hung up on that one scene in that movie with that French guy. You know, where they're talking about the uh, you know, these like students who were, you know, doing research and they discovered all the stuff and they disappeared, you know? And... Uh, yeah, yeah that scene connects at least through me connects with this film about you know what the hell is this really going on here you know it's like is it an alien <laughs> a ghost <laughs> an angel a demon or what or are they all the same thing you know all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. was like was like swimming around in my head when i was watching this movie and and the sign of a good movie that it's probably swimming around afterwards. I mean, the ending gives you a lot to like. It, it's you know, big spoiler. It's a pretty big downer of an ending. I mean, you know, finally the A and B stories come together, and and Doctor Detective realizes that the John Doe, um, uh, Michael Clark, is in the hospital at the same time when the parents are informed, and the parents come and 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 take him home back to their house. And that's when this thing inside of him seems to just can't be contained anymore. And in one of the more gruesome scenes, uh, again, we don't really, we, he kills his family. We see yeah, some basically. of that through Dr. Detective's eyes. Uh, but then we get the real aftermath of what he's done through the eyes of Dr. Forrester, who's stolen a car, uh, escaped from the hospital, and <laughs> shows up in the neighborhood and it's just the aftermath. You see, you know, he killed the other doctor. You see, he killed his whole family. You know, the doctor looked like he died trying to protect the kids, but to no avail. And then you just see 
this trail of destruction that this thing has wreaked throughout this neighborhood. And, um, you know, doors ripped off, bodies. I mean, he could be in any house and he, and he sees lights flicker. And, oh, that's one thing we didn't mention. Like, did, did you think that was significant, like the light flickering every time this thing, you know, came to take over his, his body? Sure. Like it draws yeah. power from electricity or something, almost like a, a Lynchian idea. I was thinking the same thing, actually. But, but, I mean, it makes sense that electricity would be somehow involved in uh, all of this, like, esoteric transference that's going on. Right. So he he's basically trying to stop. And now, like, this thing is fully taken over. It seems to have, like, strength now. Like, he's stronger. But, like, he um, grabs the doctor and I fully puts whatever that's in him into the doctor. Like, I don't think he's sucking anything out of people. I think he's putting something into them. Yeah, it's a possession type of scenario. Um, what actually came to mind for me was, uh, do you know the, the author Brian Keene? Do you know, you know who that is? I've heard that name before. It sounds familiar. Uh, Mike, Mike actually turned me on to Keene, and um, he had a, a book called The Rising, which is like a, uh, a you know, more it's it's a pretty interesting take on zombies. It's like a zombie novel where there are these uh, entities existing in a different dimension, and they're reanimating the dead. So they're you know using this the the dead as like a pathway into this reality. And that's kind of like what I felt was going on with whatever this entity, ghost, alien, demon, whatever the hell it is, was like the bodies were just hosts, you know, and they were just they would just take over the body and it would be a gateway into this reality. And, you know, basically that's what happened. Like Clark was dead, but it jumped into Forrester's body and they they were possibly having that battle of wills you know forrester the sense i got was that forrester was at the beginning of his war against this thing for which eventually he's going to lose like you know forrester will probably go through the whole cycle of trying to kill himself like trying to light himself on fire but right. it seems that the ultimate ultimately the the demon or the being or whatever you want to call it ultimately is too strong and too powerful and always takes over the host. So why do you think like it killed all of its other hosts? Everyone he, he put that sort of black mist into dies, but Do uh, Dr. Forrester lives and you he's like you say, like he's going to be the new guy. My theory is, is that he is because he killed him. He killed well, like its original host. So now it has to live in him. Well, yeah, that that's, that's what I was saying is like that. He, like, for, like, are, the was your question? Why did the the being kill all these other people? Or yeah, because whatever yeah. he puts in it, it, they die. But like him, it, it it spares. Like he lives on, sort of. Well, because he probably needs a physical body to exist right. in this in this realm, you know. But if you gotta remember the quote, "I I am the mouth of death," you know, and I guess that's what. My my idea of this creature, ghost, demon, alien, angel, whatever, 
its mission is to bring death and destruction to this fucking reality that we're in. Like, uh, you know, it's probably this force of chaos or this, uh, you know, there, and that's what I mean. Like, you don't, it is, there isn't no, there, there isn't a, a scene where the demon is like, I hate all life. You know, it's like this fucking, right. you know, misanthropic, you know, being or whatever. <clears throat> all we know is that it brings death to wherever it goes, you know? Right. And yeah. And you see from like research that like it, mass massive deaths like oh throughout time 800 dead here you know a thousand there you were like it's never just like a few people it's always a, a huge mass uh mass death late you know later on and, i was like thinking about this too and i was like you know may, well maybe this thing is death you know like maybe you know how like in all these different ancient religions there's like always mm -hmm. You know, some god of the underworld or like, uh, you know, an angel of death or something like that, you know, pestilence, you know, like some kind of, um, you know, icon that stands for death. Maybe that's what this thing is. Maybe it's like it exists in some kind of netherworld and it's trying to breach into our reality and it has to use a physical host to move around in this world. You know, I don't know. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, and, it's wide open, you know. And uh, yeah, and it seems to just be getting started. I love that shot again, like a overhead drone shot of like the police arriving, and there are, are and there's uh, bodies and body bags all throughout the street. Yeah. Um, it's like how how do you explain that? And and yeah, and it shows Doctor Forrester catatonic, can't answer any questions, and you see that black stuff slowly spread across his face and movie, you know, fate cuts to black, the end. And, uh, it's a grim ending and you know, like, yeah, it's just getting started and a lot more death is, is soon to follow. Exactly. It's death. Death is the beginning. <laughs> right. And you know, it's like, it shows like this thing must have been defeated before because it keeps popping up here and there causing these long death sprees, but then it's dormant for a while. So you know it can be defeated, but the movie doesn't give you any sort of uh, idea how. It's just this oppressive force of death that can't be stopped. Well, I, I, I'm going to venture and say that, you know, if you were to, like, embody death itself, you know, like, if you wanted to believe, like, uh, you know, there was uh what is it uh Charon or whatever the the fucking guy who who puts you on the boat across the river Styx or something like that like if there's like right. I was saying all all these mythologies have like this this being this manifestation of death that brings you into the underworld you know and uh you know maybe that's what this being is and it's you know its main goal is death and nothingness you know and it's like trying to get into this reality just to fucking kill you know to bring death to life you know to be the anti-life and it's eternal so yeah maybe maybe it goes dormant for like a couple hundred years or whatever a thousand years but in if you're an immortal if you're like an eternal thing that's that's nothing that's a drop in the bucket you know Right, yeah. This is nihilistic force and 
a fairly nihilistic movie the way it ends. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, given final grades, what would you uh, what would you give this one? I'll give it a five, bro. I'm I'm like all in on this movie, man. I loved it, and for all those awesome. reasons I just talked about, it was like cosmic horror. You know, it made me ups- it made me upset at the end. You know, <laughs> I was like uncomfortable there was like a lot of it made you think about shit that you don't want to think about you know it's like i thought the acting was great i thought it was a slow burn you know like things the the plot just kind of like crept along and then there's like the the climax you know and Mm -hmm. the the climax is like the unfolding of an eternal story that will go on and on and on and on you know yeah um, yeah, I'm going to go four. I, I, I like this movie a lot. Actually, it was in my, uh, I was going to put it in my top five until I realized it didn't come out this year. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just a few like minor things that, you know, like I said, the, the doctor detective thing was a, a little funny and sometimes maybe the movie was a bit too vague, but like ultimately like I, I really enjoyed it. So four for me. And, uh, Hope to see more from this filmmaker. This is only his second movie, and I don't believe his first movie was a genre movie or anything like that. But he definitely like shows he's 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 got the chops to pull off a really interesting, tense horror movie, and for not very much money. That's the most impressive thing about it is that all the tension was done through just like film craft and acting. You know, no yeah. real. There wasn't like crazy special effects or some you know, fucking tentacle demon or something, you know, it was, it was really cool. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you only get vague glimpses of what this thing does to people and it's shot really close up. So, you know, maybe you don't notice like how like the, the computer affects as much. And there's one good practical effect when, uh, Dr. Forrest beats, uh, Michael to death with a tire iron. Yeah. And you see sort of the aftermath of that. That's pretty gruesome. That was probably their one gag that they had, they could afford. You know what I mean? They probably were like, "All right, we got like this amount of money for effects. Let's let's pick and choose what we want to do." And then they're like, "All right, we need to show this like destroyed like face." You know? Yeah, like like that and like the motel scene seemed like like where they you know they put their the gore <laughs> money into the insane uh, record cover. The, the insane record cover, exactly. Were those record covers stage photos, right? They weren't real crime scenes or anything, were they? Actually, the one record, because I one of the guys, I don't, I don't know which guy in the band, but one of the guys had was like a photographer or like worked at a, some facility that developed film for the police or whatever. The one, the one with the guy's head when he was laying on the tracks, the first insane album, Apparently, that is an actual crime scene photo. Wow. Yeah. It's fucking intense, man. Yeah. Put out some but great it, records, that band. Yeah, I mean, those early records I thought were awesome, man. I mean, I, I still, I still, I, I think they're a good band. It's just that they're kind of a one-trick pony, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I, I don't think they're doing anything anymore, though. That dude, uh, Chris Spencer, the dude in the band, is he's doing other shit. He's like in other projects that are going on right now. Yeah. Yeah, one of them's on Ipecac. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I forget the name of it. it. It's cool, you know. 
You're right. Your band but any, was on, on Ipecac, right? Yeah, you know, I was in a couple bands on Ipecac, now that you mention it. Wait, what was the other <laughs> bands? Uh, Isis and uh, well, Palms. Obviously, I know that one. Oh, Palms, right. Yeah. Okay, Palms was on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that old thing. Yeah. Well, forgot, anyway, man. being on Ipecac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Um, well, it's great to talk to you, man. I feel like it's been forever, and I'm glad... Uh, that you checked it out and just you know wanted to talk about it because I don't know many people that have uh, have seen this movie uh, and you're the only person I've really gotten to talk to about it and I'm glad you enjoyed it you liked it but you gave it a higher grade than I did yeah no it's great and uh, I'm probably going to try to search out like some kind of blu-ray release and maybe there's like a interview with the filmmaker on it or something like that yeah that'd be interesting to, to, to listen to for sure yeah definitely you know. So yeah, everyone out there, look this movie up. It's out there on uh, you know Amazon, and you, you can rent it. It's on uh, Apple Movie, you know iTunes, as they can, as they say. Um, highly recommended, man. Really good, especially if you like kind of slow burn, cosmic overtones with stories that are vague. But the vagueness of this storyline actually works because it's not they don't cop out ever you know what i mean yeah i I think it sticks the landing pretty well yeah well next week mike and i'll be back we'll be talking about some italian horror films which is uh mike's that's kind of his forte you know what i mean he's like an aficionado of all that stuff yeah yeah, man, I'm looking forward to listening to that one. You know, it's, it's been a while since I've watched any old Italian horror movies. This will give me a, a good excuse to do that. Me too. And uh, Awesome. Yeah. Well, it's great being back, and uh, everyone take care, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, take care, everyone. Clang, bang, clang. Went the big iron door They put me in a cell With a concrete floor Nine other men in that cell with me Moaning their fate with destiny Clang, bang, clang Clang, bang, clang, clang Early in the Crack of dawn, they wake us to the tune of a bong, bong, bong. A line of the chow, mushing hard bread, drinking black coffee.